If you have things that you see as flaws in you, find the people who have the same things, but aren't seeing them that way. Hey everyone, I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today, I'm talking with my friend Danica, body positive model, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of Model Meals and the Self-Care Society. We're going to discuss her journey of recovering from disordered eating, food addiction, excessive alcohol and drug use, deep debt, and an overall lack of confidence and purpose. God, that was like so much negative things right there in that first sentence. Okay. Anyway, um, after experimenting with the Whole30 diet, she completely transformed her life and now uses her own experience to help others transform and thrive. Before we get into it, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hi, Danica. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm so thrilled you're here. Um, We are like recording now, but 30 minutes into our conversation already. So I'm glad we pressed record and are finally um, making it official. Those of you listening, Danica and I ironically went to college together and we're in the same sorority, but like didn't really know each other in that life and then reconnected later in life and realized like we were there almost the same time. That's so crazy. Funny. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, um, Danica, this is like the most dynamic intro ever model wellness, entrepreneur, recovering addict issue things. And I mean, so much. So how'd you get here? Like, give us the full story. We want the Danica story. Uh, yeah, let me give you like the quick recap if I can. Um, so I, I struggled a lot growing up with food and body, especially I was kind of a bigger girl. So I think, you know, seeing diet culture and all of that and what our media showed is beautiful. Um, and so I just started dieting really young. I did Weight Watchers and Atkins and all the things and would lose weight and gain weight and all of that. Um, eventually I really wanted to be a model. I think that that was what maybe our, our media at the time was saying was worthy, right? It was like, you're, you're valuable if X, Y, Z. And so it became a goal of mine, which just made weight loss, even a bigger goal of mine. And I, you know, started growing up, I struggled with bulimia for, you know, many years and got into drugs that I heard were appetite suppressing and then got into alcohol. And, you know, it's just like a slippery slope. Um, so I really, you know, it took me a lot of time to really find some freedom and self-love with my, with my body and around food and surrendering. And, um, believe it or not, I really feel like the whole 30, which I did in January of 2014 for the first time, the whole 30 really opened my eyes to the power of food. Uh, and I think I went into it for weight loss, but I came out of it with, you know, totally transformed at what we put in our body and how it impacts our life. You know, I had been diagnosed ADHD and I was taking Adderall for some time and changing what I ate and getting sober changed that so much more for me than anything else ever did. Um, and I had also signed with a plus size modeling agency a few years before doing whole 30. So I got into that industry, which was really cool because I needed, I needed the sort of validation at that point in my life that I was okay, exactly as I was. And I was a size 12, 14, 5, 10. Um, and so it was really cool to live this dream of mine that I always wanted without Were having you a model before, or did you enter in at this point into the no, I started modeling in 2011, in 2011. Okay. Uh, and then I got, I did the whole 30 in 2014. So I was already modeling and I actually had moved to New York city. I was with Wilhelmina models at the time and with IMG models now, but we, I moved to New York 
And the whole goal was like to move to New York and model and all that. And I did the whole 30 and I sort of found wellness and uh, I lost a bunch of weight and I lost all my modeling jobs because I was like a size eight and, you know, that's no man's land in the modeling industry. You're either a zero two or you're, you know, a 12, 14, but the middle is is like the nothing. So, you know, quickly got super into debt, um, but really followed my passion for food and started cooking meals out of my apartment um, that were Whole30 compliant and started my meal delivery company that um, recently got acquired. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's not the end of the right. story. You want me to keep going? <laughs> well, I have a real quick question because like, yeah. how, you, at what age did you want to be a model? I think, I think that because I never felt beautiful, I was always like, you know, all my friends, always all the guys liked them. And I, I never felt that, but people would tell me I had a pretty face, which is like the worst comp, like don't, don't compliment someone. Don't say that because all the person thinks of, especially when you're 14 years old at Weight Watchers is like, well, what about the rest of me? You know? Um, but I did take that. And I just thought that if I could, you know, that was being, being seen, being important, being famous, all those things that I think I thought would make me feel enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just like crazy to think like, you know, I wanted to be an anchor woman. Like I can't imagine like thinking I wanted to be a model at like a young age. It's just like so much pressure that you're kind of an anchor woman now. With your I know. Look at it all. Comes Look, full circle, but that's just nuts. Yeah. Maybe it was, I mean, you were in California. Do you think that like geography played into it? I was in the Midwest, like partially I lived in New York till I was 12 on Long Island. And then we moved to Newport beach. And that was a big change for me because Newport is you know, it's, it's, it's a very image focused place to be. And especially coming from, not from that at 12 years old with like braces and acne. And I had like a walking boot from ankle surgery. You know, I was really set, set up for success in middle school when I entered a new, a new situation. But, um, I think so, but I think it was the media. I think our media at the time, you know, that was, and we didn't have access like we do now, like social media, where you can follow people who are, um, of all different walks of life that inspire you. And we have more control over what we consume these days, I think. Yeah. Yes. And no, I mean, but that seems toxic now and like you can, but everyone's got these filters on and it's like, I don't know. Yeah. It's still rough out there to be a woman. It is. It is. It's tough. But I think that at least now we have people being vulnerable and uh, imperfect and it's being celebrated a little bit. Yeah. I see I've seen that in the modeling industry has transformed since I started in 2011 and it's been a decade and it's so different now. And that's been really cool to see and positive. Like in what ways? I just feel like the diversity of sizes, like even in 2014, when I lost weight, I could, you know, there wasn't work for me, but nowadays if I was a size six or an eight or a 10, there'd be work for me, you know, and there's just there's just diversity. They're also, you know, models plus models aren't just size 12, 14, they're 22s and 24, you know? So I just think, and different ages, right? Age and race. I mean, everything and different ability levels. So I I think that it's changing a lot and I hope it's, it's authentic and that brands aren't always just jumping on and, you know, doing it because it's people, that's what sells, you know, but I I think it's here to stay. I do. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's cool. So, okay. You said the story doesn't end there. So you, your company's acquired, you oh, launch well, I'm an entrepreneur, you become a model, you sell a company. 
where, where, what happens next? I skipped. So I skipped a little bit. So when I, I was in New York in 2014 and I started my meal delivery company and it was a small business, like any small business, it's not like you're rack, raking in cash in the beginning. So I got myself super in debt and then eventually just like had to move home with my parents. So I lived in my parents' garage for two years, uh, in Southern California while I got model meals off the ground and sort of gradually grew model meals. And during that time, I was doing a lot of work around self-care for myself. And I developed something called the self-care checklist and just really got into like meditation and mindfulness and mindset work and um, just personal growth and and started sharing that and people really responded to it. So uh, my partner, who's a chef, we went on a, we did a tour in 2018. We did 66 events all over the country. Primal Kitchen was kindly one of our sponsors. Um, And we did a tour in an RV. Yeah, we lived in an RV for 10 months with our 200 pound English Mastiff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did this tour for, it was, we worked with thousands of women. It was really powerful just to teach self-care, body acceptance, all of that. And through that process, um, there has been an idea that was really interesting to me. And I kept, you know, for me as an entrepreneur, my mind sees problems. And I don't mean that in like a negative way, because I'm I'm very positive, but my mind sees like, if I have this problem and there needs to be a solution and I don't see a solution for it, that's my invitation to create it. And I learned a lot of my, my second, well, technically, so model mills was my second business. And then uh, my third business is self-care society, which we launched last year at the beginning of the pandemic. And that was in response to what I learned from so working with so many women over uh, the last you know, how six years since I've been sharing self-care tools and, um, we wanted to create something that was like the Peloton of self-care so that, you know, you could, cause I, I realized that I was giving people all these tools. Here's your self-care checklist. Here's, you know, habits and rich, here's different things that you can do, but there was a gap between knowledge and integration. And I see that a lot. It's like, we live in this information age and there's so much information, but if we don't bridge the gap and we don't have systems to actually integrate these practices into our life daily and not feel overwhelmed by them, then nothing's going to change. And so we created it. It's like live class. Is, um, we have all different kinds of sort of uh, coaches, like self coach, self love coaches, and all of that. And so we launched that about a year and a half ago. Um, and so now I'm doing that, and then I'm running model meals that got acquired in July. We just launched, launched our national expansion this week. So um, and I'm pregnant. I've got a baby on the way. Yeah, I mean, and that's where the story ends. And I'm very, I'm, I'm really into organic gardening as well right now. Yeah. So I'm just going to tell you that is where the story begins, woman, because. <laughs> You've had a lot of life and you have no idea what's coming. I know. Yeah, no, but in a good way, right? Like in such a good way. I didn't mean that at all. And like, oh, you don't like, I hate when people are like saying that shit to parents and then parents are just feeling like, oh my God, it's like my whole world is going to be so horrible once this baby arrives. It's like totally not the case. It's just after you have kids, you just can't imagine like the shit from before you had kids. You're like, I don't know. Anyway, so it's going to get so, so much more exciting for you. I'm so excited. I'm just, yeah, I'm super excited for you. I I compare it to like, I feel like I used to think back when I was modeling in New York and I was, or kind of not modeling in New York and I wasn't really doing anything. I used to feel so busy. 
Like I look back and I was like, I'm so, I've got so much fun. I'm so busy. And then when I was like running model, I was like, oh, I'm so busy, you know? And yeah. I imagine that parenting, you have the child and then you have the entire life that you had before that. And then some, and you're like, God, I had so much time before. That's kind of how I imagine it is. And you're, and it just shifts. Yeah. I remember my dad saying that to me. I think, yeah, it's like so different for everyone. Some people say like zero to one's really hard. One to two is harder. I think one to two is harder for us. I'm, I'm like you, I don't drink a lot. So like zero to one, I feel like I wasn't really partying or I was yeah. 34. I think you're 34, right? When you're, you're yeah. have this baby yeah. at 34, I was the same age. I had kind of like moved past my twenties mm-hmm. and experienced a lot and lived all over the world. And I was like ready to be yeah. not doing that. And then like just pushing the stroller on the strand in Hermosa beach was great. So I think, I think okay. you're still set up. I'm super interested in organic gardening. So you need to give us like your five tips on organic gardening really quick. Oh, wow. So well, to be fair, I live in Las Vegas now and the desert is an interesting place to, to garden, but I will say gardening has really, it has so many parallels to personal growth and like self-work. Um, and just this idea of what you put, what you plant the seed in is based on the environment it's in. Like it's going to thrive if you, if it's environment is supportive of it thriving. And I think that as he, I've learned so much as a, a human based on that, right? It's like where I put myself in life. If my environment around me supports me thriving, then I'm more likely to thrive. And so I feel like things like that, but in terms of tips, like, you know, the soil's really important. The soil's really important. Um, the growing stuff that's like good for your area. Um, I don't know. I don't have five tips, but I just will say it's really, uh, been a rewarding hobby. I think being away from screens and putting my hands in the dirt and growing, you know, listen, I have a meal company. I'm not, I have no shortage of, of food, which I'm very grateful for. It's just a real privilege, but there's still something about growing it in your backyard that I think even if you're, or even if you just, if you're in an apartment and you have a balcony and you can grow like some herbs, there's just something about it that is so empowering and so nourishing. Um, and there's a lot of lessons to be learned, I think. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Let's talk about model meals for a little bit. Like tell everyone what it is, how it started. We know it was in the New York apartment, but like, it's clearly grown a lot from there. So Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was just a matter of, I felt like when I did the whole 30, I felt like if I could just, you know, I looked at the questions that were coming in as I did the whole 30 and I'd shared my journey and people sort of saw over a few months after I did my whole 30, because I kind of kept doing it. I kept with that lifestyle. People saw my life transformed. And so I looked at the questions I was getting answered and I was getting asked. And a lot of the questions were around, you know, it's, I don't know where to start or it feels overwhelming or all the prepping and cooking isn't accessible. And so I kind of took the the problems, like I was kind of talking about before and, and wanted to create a solution. And I felt like if I could just give the people the food first and they could just experience how good they could feel that it's, it's hard to go back. Once you know how good your body is programmed is like naturally able to feel for most people, I will say not, it's not going to be the case for everyone, but for most people, we are meant to function, to feel really good. Our brains can be so clear and that clarity of that mental clarity can help us to have a lot uh, more like self actualization, right? Like more self clarity. So I really want to share that with people. So, you know, I started by cooking and then I uh, teamed up with my business partner, Camille, who was my, um, 
uh, went to college at Boulder together. And, um, she, we started in California. We grew it really organically for the last six years and then, um, serving California, Arizona, Nevada. So we've only served well, most of the time we only served California. And then we opened up to, um, California, Arizona, Nevada about a couple of years ago. And, uh, and then, like four days ago, we opened national. So we had, we were acquired by a company and it was the perfect for us. It was a perfect time. We were looking for what was next for model meals. We were trying to figure out if we wanted to raise capital, if we wanted to sell the company, if we wanted to, you know, work with some sort of partner to produce our meals, we weren't really sure, but we felt like it was the time for us to do something different differently. And, and so this came along and it ended up being this beautiful opportunity. And, um, it has been like, I'm so thrilled with how everything's going and, uh, you know, it's, it's cool because I've always wanted it to reach more people. And I feel like we now have the resources to do that. Yep. And model meals is prepackaged. Yeah. Refrigerated, ready to eat. eat. And And all 30 paleo. Yeah. And I've had them in there. Amazing. And the source, the ingredient sourcing is incredible. And yeah, it's actually a great present for those pregnant friends we have that are not going to have time to meal prep once the baby comes. So you're like, you're so set. Um, that's very cool. And the acquisition, did it just feel really good? Like, what did it feel like? You know, I have to really practice staying in like being present because, you know, it's so easy to be like, what's next, what's next and not pause when those things happen and, and be like, wow, like this is huge. It really, it felt great. It felt great. It just felt like, you know, you know, you're never, you don't get there. You're never, you know, like you're never done. You sound like you just get to this place, but it was something new. And I love newness because it always invites opportunity. You know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, you get the same results. So if you try something new, there's opportunity. Sure. There's opportunity, there's risk and there's the opportunity to fail too. But in most situations, you're going to make a choice that invites opportunity to grow. So it's, it's been really awesome. I was in New York when we like, uh, visiting my partner, who's a chef, he was working in the Hamptons for a few months and I was in New York. It was my first trimester. So it like, we signed the deal and I was also like very nauseous and not, not feeling great but I really tried to stay present in it. And I remember saying like, what does it feel like stay present in this moment? Um, and it's been, it's been really wonderful so far, you know, it's, there's, there's shifts and dynamics and feeling kind of like I have a boss again, which is, you know, not what I've had for many years, but, uh, in the best way for sure. Yeah. I can relate. I can so relate. We have similar dynamic with Kraft Heinz and I certainly have a boss again, but a wonderful boss and prior, Mark was like, uh, definitely not a bot. We didn't have a boss relationship. So yeah, I love it. Um, so what has it been like, just like your relationship with your body through pregnancy? Like, how have you handled that? You know, it's been great. And I think that's because I went through it for so many years of my life that I had to do a lot of work to come to a place where I just like loved my body. Um, And so it's been beautiful. I feel more in tune with my body. I feel healthier. I mean, again, first trimester, I was nauseous and tired and and that was challenging um, and traveling and, you know, uh, but I, I can gratefully say that I'm in a place in my life that like, I just don't identify with my body connecting to my worth. Like, it's just not a thing for me anymore. Um, It doesn't mean I don't have days where I don't feel great. Like, I'm not saying that, but I I just don't have, that's not part of me anymore where I feel connected to my physical appearance 
and my worth being like part one one in the same, I guess. Yeah. And as someone who's had like disordered eating and you're a model, like what is the key to getting there? Like therapy? Did you do like an outpatient program? Like how the hell did you make such a 180 here? It's a lot. I think that's, what's hard to like, you know, I always want to give, I want to, I always want to give people tools and tactical things they can do. And it's, it's a mixture of a lot of things. So for me, I will say, uh, changing what I ate while, while it wasn't about the food changing what I ate for me via whole 30, but via however people feel good helped my brain get clear enough to do the internal work. So I don't think that if I hadn't, if I hadn't changed, if I hadn't gotten sober, which I got sober via whole 30 and I hadn't changed how I was fueling my mind, I don't think I could have had the mental clarity and realizations I had around how and why I was using food. Cause I was very much a food addict, a sugar addict. I was binge eating 10,000 calories in a 20 minute sitting. Like, like what, about. what were you binge eating? That I mean, I would do that on, on even whole 30 foods. And that was what was a real wake up call. I would eat like, I, I, I added it up one time. Cause I remember, cause I ate whole, I ate like apples, nut butters, um, you know, scrambled eggs, bacon. Like I was eating like paleo stuff and I still could eat literally 10. I added up, it was 10,000 calories in like a very quick amount of time. And that was like the first wake up call to me of, Oh, this is not about the food. It's about how and why it's, why are you using the food is just the drug. It's just like the symptom. Right. Um, and so I think that, but I think that having eliminating some of the stuff that gave me brain fog allowed me to see that. And through that, I was able, you know, I got into overeaters anonymous for quite some time and I've done a lot of different therapies. I've done cognitive behavioral therapy. I did a powerful therapy called intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy, which was basically like a relearning of how to stay in my body and access my feelings and use my feelings to guide me. Because I feel like for most of my life, I was totally cut off from my like, like when she, when I went into that session and she asked me how I felt that question for me, I used to answer that question based on how I thought I should feel. It was all mental. It was all thought versus tuning into my body and saying, how, how do I actually feel right now? Like, what's the honest answer? I had just total disassociation with my feelings. And so through that, I think that was one of the things that was the gateway into meeting my partner as well, because I finally had the ability to connect with someone in an authentic way because I was actually using, utilizing my emotional information, Um, and then, you know, I, authors like Janine Roth, she had a book called women, food and God that I think was really powerful. She talks a lot about emotional eating and all that. Um, and then in terms of body image, you know, it's all connected, right. But body image for me, modeling helped, right. I got into the plus size modeling industry. And then all of a sudden my news feed was filled with plus size models and all these women were celebrating. There's no pressure to lose weight. It's like, actually, please don't lose weight. Right. And what I was seeing in terms of like my new media, right. My Instagram feed, which is new at the time was filled with women who looked like me, who were clearly felt beautiful and were in lingerie and were celebrating themselves and it reprogrammed my mind. It wasn't an intentional shift, but what it did was it sort of, it reprogrammed me to believe that I was too, which is why I think it's so powerful that we can follow people nowadays that, you know, if you find, if you have weaknesses, if you have things that you see as flaws in you, find the people who have the same things, but aren't seeing them that way. And so that really reprogrammed for me. I stopped reading magazines. I stopped reading, you know, like looking at all that sort of stuff and slowly, but surely it transformed. And then the last thing I'll say on this is 
self-care and self-love are really deeply connected. I talk a lot about this when I teach my self-care society classes, because what happens when we care, when we practice self-care, when we get enough sleep, when we drink enough water, when we take breaks, we send ourselves the message that we're worth taking care of, that we're worthy, that we have worth and self-worth and self-love. It's essentially the same thing, right? So the more we practice self-care, the more we send a message of self-love and we start really adopting that belief system and vice versa. The more we find self-love, the more naturally it is to take care of ourselves because we naturally take care of things that we love. It's really easy to want to like tend to the emotional needs of someone that you love, right? Your child, your pet, whatever. So the same way that we do that, we want to do that for ourselves. So it works together. I love it. Okay. Going back to something you said earlier that I I thought was really interesting. You talked about that one therapy you did of connecting, like kind of sounds like mind body. Um, is that like help people tap into their intuition or like get out of their head and more into their body when they're making decisions or. I think it was, it was a little bit less spiritual and more like biological, meaning I didn't know when I went into that, that, you know, when you feel angry, you feel it in a certain part of your body. Mm. And when you feel anxious, you're going to feel it somewhere. And when you feel excited, you're going to like, and so it was almost like if you were to go to kindergarten and they had a a visual that said, when I feel angry, it's going to feel like tightness in my hands. Right. Or when I feel anxious, there's going to, it's going to feel like something's filling up my throat. It's like, it's like these basic things that you're never really taught. And it was a relearning of those things. And then a relearning of noticing that in therapy, when I brought something up that really was triggering or hard for me, I know I could notice then either what was going on in my body. And she could say what, you know, they film you when they watch your body. It's so fascinating because they, they are trained to see you know, when your legs move or like your little tiny body moments that get send them messages. And then I would also see when I disassociated, which for me was a big thing. Like if we talked about something uncomfortable in therapy, my mind went to Trader Joe's and what I was going to buy because that there was one across the street and binge eating was my way of numbing out. Oh, I don't want to be here. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to hear it. And so I, then I would have to come back as I got better. I would be like, Oh, you know what? I just totally left the room. I just went to Trader Joe's. <laughs> I just went to Trader Joe's. Yeah, I got I got the pirate's booty and the, um, but then you start realizing, oh, wow. And what is this therapy called? I've like never heard of this. Well, I it's called ISTDP intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's not common. My friend had done it and referred me and it's sort of like, I feel like this therapist is like the sisterhood of the traveling therapist. Like she's everyone that goes to her is like, and I can give you the information. Um, she's in LA. Um, but, uh, anyway, it's just really interesting and it was really powerful. It's just one woman who does this. This isn't like, a no, it's like a school. There's a whole people, a whole group of people. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a type of therapy. Um, I hadn't heard of it either, but it was really powerful. I mean, it's really powerful. You know, something else you and I share in common is we both went to Christine Hassler's retreat. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I know her pretty well too. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, I remember from that. She, I don't know if she still does chrysalis prep, maybe she might be doing something else. I'm not sure, but regardless during that therapy, I went, this was years ago, my like twenties. Um, it was like a women's retreat, but we, did you do the anger session? Do you remember that? Like where you, I did, but I don't yeah. think I could drop into it. I don't think I could drop into okay. it. I thought, yeah, it was interesting. I, I think it, would, it would still be hard for me to drop into, you yeah. know, like 
I don't think I, I think I, I have a lot of work to do. You know, we always do, right? Yeah. The, the yeah. disassociating with being positive and happy all the time. I think I could do it a lot better now, but I did. I tried, but I don't feel yeah. like I got into it like people did, you know? Parenting helped me. Um, I'm like, you know, you read about, I don't know, parenting philosophies now and a big one I've latched onto is like not judging your kids' emotions and mm-hmm. like, it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be angry and all emotions are welcome, right? Like yeah. you can't hit your brother, but it's totally fine that you're, <laughs> that you're angry. I would be angry too. And just like my husband and I are like, I'm like, Hey, why don't we treat each other? Like we treat the kids, you know, like, it's just so yeah. enlightening how like dismissive we are of any emotion other than like anger for men or like happiness and joy for women. Right. Like yeah. we're just supposed to be like happy and fine all the time. And men are like only allowed to express anger other than that, like no other emotions are allowed. And it's just been like parenting's taught me a lot on that. Yeah. I mean, that's like why one of the reasons I started self-care society is to create a space to do this work in a, in a way that's not, you know, we're not therapy, obviously we're, but it's every, you know, we need to be doing that daily. I have something, you know, I'm teaching a class tonight and, and, you know, we'll just giving people space and journal on how they feel in the moment and what's going on in their internal world is like so important. And we don't do it as adults. We just don't, unless something, unless we blow up, right. Unless it's like really heavy and then it's too late, you know, we get let things build and build and build. So it's a practice of honoring our internal emotional worlds before they get chaotic. And then life feels really balanced. Yeah. I love it. And self-care society is, is that your newest venture. Yeah. 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 So we started that about a year and a half. And it's a growing online community or like, how does it like it's a membership. Um, and we have a bunch of different coaches and you can take live classes or we have like tons of on-demand classes. There's private community. There's a private community. There's a lot of tools. So there's like a digital self-care checklist. Um, it's just meant the same way that when we go and work out our body regularly, we have to do this like mental, emotional, spiritual workout too. It's like, we've, we've kind of, we know as a society physical, like to do the physical, right. But we're so, there's so much more than that. And so we are basically a gym for your mental, emotional, you know, spiritual health. I love it. I have a Buddhist therapist that I've been seeing for 10 years. I like, I know all the benefits of meditation. I am totally here for it. And yet I cannot incorporate meditation into my daily life. Like how does one do this? Is this what you're trying to solve? Sort of. I mean, we do little, like we'll do meditations and breath work and that stuff in classes sometimes. Um, But ultimately, I mean, here's our classes are a little bit more there. It's like very, um, writing focused in a lot of ways. So it's like, you bring your journal and we do a lot of self-inquiry and, and one of my goals with self-care society is to help people trust themselves again, and to help people go to themselves for answers instead of everywhere else. And like really strengthen that, um, intuitive relationship with yourself, but regarding meditation, I mean, we do, we talk a lot about habits. Um, and I think, you know, it's hard. I'm not perfect with it either. And I can imagine with two kids, like, you know, it's like another layer, but I think one thing that really helps is to remind people that it doesn't have to be 20 minutes or 15 minutes. It can be five minutes. It can be three minutes. You know, it could be one minute, be transitioning between work calls or something. And I think that really helps. And I allow myself to, I'm really big into systems. So I use like a self-care checklist and I like checking boxes. I have repeating events set up on calendar and Asana and all that. 
And, uh, and if I meditate for 30 seconds or I meditate for 30 minutes, either way, I check that box. And that's for me is really empowering. And it tells me, you know, when we make changes through empowerment, we want to show up again. Right. So when I feel like I'm good at something, I want to do it again tomorrow. But oftentimes we set ourselves up for failure because we say I have to either work out for an hour or not at all. When you can work, you can stretch your body for five minutes. And if you can give yourself permission that that five minutes is as valuable as that one hour hike, then you show up and want to do it again tomorrow. And it's, it becomes more consistent. Yeah. That is genius. Yeah. I like that. So that's, yeah. Expectations are an early thing, aren't they? Like, I feel like so much disappointment in life or just so much unhappiness comes from really wrongly set expectations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And we just, we're really hard on ourselves and, and that's, really big for me is, is helping people find more gentleness, you know, and I only teach the things that I need to learn too. you know, it's how do I find a little bit more gentleness with myself? Why do every single day I set myself up for failure when I, when I look at how much I've committed to get done in a work day, you know, and that's something I work on still, I'm always overcommitting myself. And, and so I'm just, I want to be in that practice of gentleness and permission, Um, because I think that we really can live our best life from that energy much more effectively than from shame and guilt and, you know, willpower and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. That's a vicious cycle. Right. And then you break it and then you have more shame or more guilt. And then it just like repeats itself over and over again. Yeah. Okay. So when in this journey, do you meet Billy? (laughs) I met Billy on Tinder. Uh, No, actually it's funny. So we were, we, I feel like we both met at very interesting points in our life. So we were, uh, first and foremost, I was in love with this guy, this NFL um, quarterback. And I knew he was a friend of mine. He was like, we had like a relationship and, um, for, you know, some time, like not nothing crazy serious, but I was in love with him for so many years. And it took me and a lot of, I think the love that I had for him was based in my, challenges with self-love and body image, because I felt like, oh, if I could just end up with this guy, then what does that mean to me? Like I am worthy. I'm enough, right? Like saying the same thing I was seeking with weight loss. And, um, and, and he was a, like, he's a great guy. Like there's nothing he's, he's, and he's always really sweet to me and everything. And, but I needed to let go of him energetically, like to actually energetically release the space he was holding in my life because uh, I deeply believe that if we don't create space for the newness to come in, there's nowhere yeah. for it to come. So we have to release, we have to clear clutter. We have to have to create energetic space. Um, and, uh, so I really feel like I did work, especially I was in that therapy kind of around this time, the therapy I was talking about, I really did work to like close that chapter and actually energetically, truly authentically release that. And so I think once I did that, it really opened me up to actually be able to receive what was truly right for me. And I was living in my parents' garage at the time. And, you know, I was still in debt. I was like, you know, not in the best place, but I was believing in my business. And every day it felt like, oh, when when are you going to get a real job? You know, like just that energy. And, um, and Billy was, uh, in sober living and he'd just gotten sober and, um, neither of us really had like much to show for ourselves at that time. But because of that, we showed up super raw and honest. Like we were both just like fresh out of therapy, fresh out of self-work and, and sobriety and just kind of showed up really authentically and said like, here's my shit. And you know, here's mine. And 
you know, it's just the mask where there was no BS. We've been, our anniversary is the day we met because we've been a couple since, you know, and, and it was just the most authentic nurturing. It was just beautiful. You know, he's amazing. He's, he's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I love Billy. I don't even like know him that well, but I feel like to not even know Billy is to love him. Like he's He's just a lovable cuddly bear. Yeah. He's the most, and he's very nurturing. He'll be such a good dad. Like he's so, cause I have a lot of like masculine energy as an entrepreneur. And as like, I have a lot of that sort of like do, 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 and you know, whatever. And, and he is very loving and nurturing and sensitive and, uh, which, you know, you see Billy's like six threes, this big guys, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it's, it's a nice balance. We have a really beautiful relationship. I'm super grateful for it. And it hasn't been perfect, but he's kind of like a Roy Kent, maybe a little bit. Are you watching Ted Lasso? <laughs> he's not that angry though. <laughs> no, no, but like a little yeah. bit, like a toned down. Yeah. <laughs> Roy Kent. Who's by, totally. by far my favorite character on Ted Lasso, by the way. I'm like obsessed. Yeah. I got to stop talking about it. I'm like too obsessed, but anyway. Right. Um, okay. So tips for debt, like that debt is so gnarly. We, yeah, yeah. that can be yeah. like really crippling and really paralyzing. How did you handle that? I mean, you moved back I, in. You're with your parents, but yeah, I would say financial stress is like one of the heaviest things. And for me, it was really feeding my binge eating disorder. And that was one of the reasons I had to make that decision was because I was so in debt. Like I, I was three months late on my apartment in New York. I had a pink slip on my door, you know, and I just like, I I didn't learn anything about money because right when I got out of college, you know, I worked in television production for a little while, but then I got right into modeling. And, and when you have no education about money, And you don't realize, oh, you're going to have to pay taxes at the end of the year because you're not paying them throughout the year like you would if you had a regular paycheck or something. You know, there's so much. And I got myself really into a bad situation because of the lack of financial education. So I'm really passionate about financial self-care and really doing work in that arena right now for me to educate myself on how to be really responsible with my money and make it work for me because I'm really over the hustle culture. You know, I don't want to. So, so what I will say is for me, you know, I was fortunate that my parents paid for college. So I didn't come out with student loans, which most people do. So, you know, I think I, I, I started steps ahead of, of many people. So I just want to be fair and say that too. Um, but you know, for me, it was pulling back, like moving into my parents' garage and again, fortunate to have my parents who were willing to do that and had a place for me. Um, and then it was streams of income, you know, it was different streams of income. So while I was running model meals, I was also, you know, building back my modeling career. And then I would do hosting things. And then I got into, you know, social media stuff. And, you know, and even today it's like, I have model meals and I have Danica Brescia Inc. And I have self-care society and I rent my RV out and we'll, you know, we might dog sit here and there. So it's like, I always am looking at that and bring, how do we bring in different streams of revenue? Because things are really unpredictable, you know, that's just, that's just how life is, especially as an entrepreneur. So that was really helpful for me, um, was to continue to like, take a step back, eliminate a lot of the excessive expenses, create multiple streams of revenue where I could, and then just kind of slowly, gradually build myself out of that. I love it. That's awesome. Um, how you were like deep debt, like depression level, deep debt. I mean, it was really hard. I was, I was over six figures in debt. Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, but I am now, right? I bought a house. Now I have again. Like, I know. know. I know. Like, Getting comfortable with debt and like your relationship with money is just yeah. like such a part of growing up, I find. Like I remember right. being in therapy and freaking out about this business we bought and like, you know, we were making money and I just like didn't even like the idea of owing money to anybody else. And my therapist was like, listen, like this is part of life. You're going to have to like come to terms with this and be able to like navigate the world while you're managing this, yeah. like, you know. Right. But I think here's the thing is like the debt I have now is mostly related to assets that I have. So, so, you know, when you start educating yourself at that point in my life, I felt like I had debt, but it was like credit card debt right. that I didn't have anything available as a result of that debt yeah. money off of really. I mean, I shouldn't say that, you know, my business was that. And, but, um, you know, yeah, you, you weren't going to be able to sell your receipts from like that Michelin star restaurant in New York City. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So then I found a chef on Tinder and we're good now. So yeah, perfect. <laughs> this is like, this, this is the, <laughs> here the we are every time. Okay. So the, you have been very intentional about your desire to get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys went through like a lot of like cool fertility prep. And I just want to learn because I think, you know, I want to hear about, you know, you're not married, your choice, why not to be married, focus on, you know, procreating. I can see why you guys would do that because I mean, everybody needs more of whatever combination is coming out of you two in the world. But how did you guys get here? And what are your tips on like, what was your process on the fertility prep stuff? Yeah. So this is, I love this question. We, I didn't know that I wanted kids growing up. Like that was not really something I kind of, most of the time I said, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. And then when I met Billy, I, that changed because, you know, obviously you love someone and also we're true partners. We really are. We really have a beautiful balance of duties in how we show up, you know, and, and that makes things a lot more, a lot easier, you know, it's a lot easier for me to see how I can run my businesses and have a child because of this beautiful partnership that we have and how supportive he is. I mean, he's such a helper. He does so much behind the scenes so that I can do what I do, you know, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and we didn't think that we were, we didn't know, have like a timeline set for having kids, but I went to my, I went to just like a regular, like naturopathic checkup. And she just asked if I'd wanted to do any of the fertility tests to just get an idea. Uh, I told her, you know, we might want to in the next few years or something. And she was like, do you want to take any of these tests just so you know? And I was like, mm, I thought about it. I was like, you know, why not? I don't think it hurts to have information. And so I took, um, I did just kind of the different like labs and stuff. And one of the You're tests talking like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're going to, one of the tests measures the anti-malarian hormone, the AMH level. Yeah. And the AMH is an indicator of your ovarian reserve. So essentially the quantity of eggs that you have left and the higher, uh, the lower, the higher, the more the eggs you have and the lower. Oh, okay. And it naturally, you know, every time you ovulate, you're releasing, you know, so you're, as you get older, you it never comes down. Eggs. Right. Yeah, okay. Well, so I did this and I was probably about, 31 or 32 when I got this test done and, uh, my egg reserve was more like I was in my early forties. So it was pretty low for my age. And I think that was the thing that made us start thinking about, Oh, okay, well, if we want to have kids bio naturally, then our timeline might not be as long as we thought it was. And so, um, you know, I just sort of took that information and sat with it. I wasn't like taking action on anything. Um, but then I was in a mastermind group led by Kate Northrup. And one of the women that I was like magnetically attracted to um, was this woman named Dr. Cleopatra. 
And as it turns out, Dr. Cleopatra is a um, uh, scientist of fertility, pregnancy, and the uh, transmission of like intergenerational health. And she's had millions in grant funding at uh, USC and um, had this incredible program called the Primester Protocol. And and what it's based in is this idea that when you... uh, like there's so much that you can do prior to conceiving. Most people think it's like, okay, I'm pregnant and now I'm going to avoid the coffee and the alcohol, all the things. Right. But actually the four months and more, but minimum four months, 120 days before you conceive, you can greatly impact the epigenetic um, the epigenetics that are the genetics that are passed on to your children and your grandchildren. Like this is multiple generations. And she, so anyway, she has this whole protocol. She became one of my closest friends, um, through our mastermind group. And we just worked with her over the last, you know, two years and did her protocol. And of course it's very based in the lifestyles that we live, right. The lifestyle that primal kitchens about the lifestyle that model meals and self-care side about, you know, it's mental, emotional, physical, all of that. Um, and we did this protocol and she was able to help me get my AMH level up pretty significantly, which it's, it's believed that you can't bring your AMH level up because technically you can't make more eggs, right? Because you, you're born with all the eggs that you have. So that was really, that really incredible. Um, so we just did this protocol imperfectly for, you know, actually about a year and a half before we ended up conceiving. And it took us about seven months to conceive. Um, and then, you know, we found out we were pregnant earlier this year and we're due in late January with a little girl. Um, and, and it was incredible. And, and the tools, like you just learn, I don't know, I'm just, you and I were talking about this before we hit record, but just information, right. The way I learned how to track my cycles and understand my body. It's just, you know, I'm on a constant mission to be one with my body and myself because I spent so much time not being, being in alignment. And so it's been so beautiful. Um, and I mean, what a gift. I mean, she says it's like the greatest gift that you can give to this world. It's like, this is real, the most charitable work you can do is pass along the healthiest expression of your possible genetics for the future generations. So she's really incredible. She, her story, um, you could, she's at the drcleopatra.com, whatever you can find her stuff, but, um, the fertility pregnancy Institute, but she lost her mom at birth. Um, and she does a lot for, uh, women of color and the maternal rates that they see. And she just came out of basically out of the womb with this as her mission to help people. And so she's, they have a, I think a 95% or 96% fertility rate, somewhere between 95 and 97 and works with some of the hardest cases, like the people who've tried everything, tried IVF multiple times, all these things. And, um, and it's really incredible work that they do. So we weren't going into it really saying, I wouldn't say we had fertility struggles. We hadn't tried, but I am all about, like, if there's science to back up things that I can do to prepare, like, why the hell not, you know, why the hell not? So we did it and, and, and it's been awesome. And I feel very fortunate that we found her before, before we did conceive. Yeah. I want to have her on the podcast too. She sounds so interesting. She's awesome. Yeah. So did you guys try for a girl or did you just let it happen? No, we were convinced we were having a boy. Like I, every cell in my body was like, we're having a boy (laughs) because there is a, and Dr. Cleopatra can talk about this, but there is a slight, um, leaning for people who are of larger stature to have boys. She taught me. Yes. 
So this is really interesting. Um, and she'll have to tell, like, I don't want to butcher any of the science because I am not like the person to deliver it. But we were just, I don't know. I just always thought we were going to have a boy. So we were shocked when we found out we were having a girl, like so shocked. It. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause there's that like theory that if you time your ovulation and you have sex like yeah. three days before and not again, you end up with a girl. And then if you have sex, like the day of your ovulation, you end up with a boy. I like knew we were having a boy cause we had to do an IUI. I was on Clomid. I tried for a year. I had some doctor tell me I was never going to be able to have kids. I like left crying and ran straight to the fertility clinic. We have two boys now, but um, yeah, my sister-in-law, I like went to play tennis with her after that doctor's appointment. I was like crying on the tennis court. She's always like, have you sent your Christmas card to that horrible gynecologist who told you you were never going to have kids yet? And I'm like, no, but I should. Um, because yeah, it's crazy. Fertility is crazy. And I think only becoming crazier, but yeah, but there is a method. I have friends who like swear, one of my friends has three kids and she's like, I picked all the sexes. Like there's a, there's a thing, but anyway, whatever. It's kind of funny. Yeah. We, I mean, we, yeah, I was just shocked, but what I will say is we actually, our whole thing, we wanted to freeze embryos because we want more long. We want to have a big family. And we, Dr. Cleopatra had suggested to us that if that was accessible for us, that it actually would be a great way. You know, we've done all this prep work, especially if you're doing, if you're going to do IVF, like, that do the trimester first, because this, that four months that you spend doing that is impacting all of your eggs that you, so she, that it's really powerful if someone is willing, you know, but most people are doing IVF don't necessarily want to wait four months to try, you know, which is valid. Um, but anyway, we were going to freeze, uh, embryos so that we had more longevity so that we, you know, and we actually, I, I said, let's try for six months naturally. And then if not, we'll, we'll go this route and freeze embryos. And I didn't get my, myself together in order to like make the appointment. So we ended up trying for seven months, one more extra month. And we got pregnant on that seventh month. And we actually found out now we found out while we were at Dr. Cleopatra's house in LA, which is crazy. Like we Wait, took, a so test you mean you took a pregnancy test at her house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We found out there. And what's even crazier is the next day we had an appointment to start the, um, all of the yeah, process the for freezing, for freezing eggs. So that was really interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So fascinating. And um, marriage. I didn't answer your marriage question. Yeah. 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 You got to answer the marriage question. That's like so lame of me, but I'm just like, so curious. No, people ask that a lot and I don't mind answering. I mean, we don't have, we might get married someday. I'm not, I'm totally like not against it, but it also for us just felt like, I feel like if I did it, it'd be something I'd be doing because I felt like I should versus because yeah. it's like really important to me. Um, I, Billy knows that if he ever was like, it's really important to me, then we get married, you know, yeah. but to be completely honest, it's more from like a business perspective. Like I'm like taxes and like, I own a lot of different Changing businesses. Your name is such like a call that. I don't think, I don't even know it, but it just, for me, I'm like, you know, maybe we'll do it one day, but we're not in a rush to do it. Um, I'd rather not that weddings have to be expensive, but I'd rather spend the money. Like, I don't know, building an Airbnb in my backyard that we can make money off of or something. Yeah. I mean, weddings are expensive. As soon as you say wedding, everyone's like, okay, we just tripled the rate. And yeah, Yeah. that's the whole thing. And it's a lot of, it's like your time too. Right. I mean, it's an energy suck for sure. So totally. it's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I have some like random, just like rapid fire questions for you. So what are you most excited about in health and wellness these days? Oh, wow. Um, well, it's an interesting time in health and wellness <laughs> in the, with what's going on in our world. But, uh, for me personally, uh, vitamin D and nature like nature as a wellness, 
uh, as a wellness tool is really interesting to me right now, as well as sleep. But obviously I've known that, but I've always been like really about food, right. And food, and then, you know, looking at sleep. Um, but I'm really interested to see what more information we can get about how nature impacts our wellness. Are you talking like light and mitochondria and like sunrise, I'm talking sunset? Like, yeah, I'm talking or like getting out there. Yeah. putting your bare feet in the grass, hugging a tree, like all these things that, that we, I don't think we typically think of, you know, for me, it's like, I have a self-care checklist, right. And we think of meditation and we think of how we eat and drinking water and those things, but I don't think we necessarily think of a wellness practice as getting out in nature. And I, and I think we're going to start thinking about it a little bit more in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone that's inspiring you these days? Oh man. I mean, yes, I think anyone I'll leave this, I'll keep this vague, but anyone just speaking their truth right now, especially because I feel like it's hard. And and I'm not saying that in regards to necessarily just the pandemic or anything like that, but just, I think just having the courage right now and in our, our culture has been so cancel culture focused and, um, I think it can feel really scary to show up authentically. And so I just really admire, I, I don't have to agree with what the person's saying, but I just admire anyone who's willing to speak up about something that not everyone's going to agree with, you know, and be honest. Yeah. Authenticity. It's great. Um, what would you say is your biggest failure in life? Mm, probably all it's hard. Well, what I will say is I'll say probably all the years that I spent putting energy towards dieting and weight loss. That being said, it's not a failure because it led me to where I am today. But, um, I think that I look back and think about all of the energy that I put into that. Like that was a full-time job was the weight loss and hating myself. And wow, if I could just go back and put that energy elsewhere. I wouldn't be the same person today, but I also can think about, you know, and and also to be honest, all of the processed food and crap that I grew up on, no one knew better, but the reality is I think it, I think I lived my life half conscious, most of my life half conscious be as a result of our, of our food system. So I'm really, I'm really passionate about that too, because I think that uh, we're walking around foggy and sleepy and and half half present as a result of what our brains are running on. Yeah, us '80s babies. I mean, we had like dinner every night, but there was a lot of like processed food creep in the diet that like they just there was just no know. awareness. No one knew. No, exactly. Yeah. Like they didn't know McDonald's or wasn't a good choice for you know. We just didn't know. No, that I totally agree. Okay, my favorite one. What's something about you that most people don't know? I would say that I'm quite introverted. I think a lot of people assume that I'm very, I do a lot of visibility, right? I do a lot of, but I think that so much of the extroverted nature, like I used to do like stand up comedy and all that sort of stuff. And I think so much of that was out of a uh, feeling of not being seen and not because I felt that way for so many years of my life was like that I wasn't enough and that I wasn't valuable. So I think I overcompensated to be visible and funny and, you know, what people want to see on social media, you know, for so long. And, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm pretty simple. I am really like, and especially as I get older, I'm, I'm very 
I love spending time alone. I love having nothing scheduled. I love being out in nature um, and feel, feel really quite good that way. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Why don't you just like tell everyone where they can find all your different fun ventures and you, and it was so great to reconnect. And I'm just like, God, we need to do this more often. <laughs> this has been, been lovely. Um, I am on Instagram at Danica Brescia. So just my name and uh, at model meals and at self-care society. And then we have modelmeals.com for meal delivery. If you're interested and you're in the U S and then self-care society is my self-care society.com. Um, and we do, we can, I can give you links to stuff and codes cool. and all that sort of juicy stuff. If you want them. Yeah, we want them. We want them all. We'd love it. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Everybody check out model meals. I can personally vouch for the quality of the ingredients and the taste. So it's a big win. Thank you, Danica. We appreciate you.